Well, congratulations, everybody. We made it. We are in the final portion of Scripture in this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. Uh, If you haven't been with us, let me remind you of who Paul was writing this to. He's writing this to a group of people that he was willing to risk his life for. Paul risked it all to make the gospel known to these people. But people were working behind the scenes frantically to undo his work and contaminate the gospel that he had taken to these churches that he planted in the region of Galatia. In this last section, Paul gets intensely personal. There's this cool moment to me where he takes the quill out of the scribe's hand, insisting that he writes this last section on his own. Paul's desperately trying to emphasize what he's about to say, and he feels like he's got to write it himself. He brings his letter to a close with a powerful summary of the point of this letter. Instead of his usual salutations and greetings, and usually mentions a few names and gives a little final instructions, instead uh, he goes right at his main point here. And, you know, it's important for us to consider this because as we read this text, it would be easy for us to underestimate how important this is to Paul. It would be easy for us to underestimate what Paul is feeling here or to read this maybe like a textbook or an email from a coworker, but we want to not do that. Remember what Paul went through in order to get the gospel to these people. Remember what it cost Paul. Remember Paul's missionary journey through this region. Remember what happened? He was chased from city to city. And he received death threats. And eventually, uh, he was drugged outside of a city by the Jewish leaders where he was stoned and left for dead. And as they stoned him, they basically got to the point where They were leaving him there thinking that either he was dead or moments from death. Can you imagine that? I mean, Paul laid down his life for these people he's writing to. And we see his heart here because even after he was stoned, he goes back into the city to share the gospel with these people again, knowing the risk. Paul was compelled by the love of Jesus and by the message of the gospel He wanted to get it to these people, even if it cost him his life. But it didn't cost him his life. That's why he's writing the letter here. And I'm sure it cost him his health. I mean, what kind of damage was done to Paul's body? I mean, you can't even begin to imagine. How many broken bones did he receive that day? Was there any arthritis or scars that he had now that were plaguing Paul because of that day? Paul's body was now marked with scars and bruises that he received from sharing the message of the gospel with the people he's writing to right now. Those weren't the last scars Paul would receive for the sake of the gospel. They were some of the first, but they were real. And he felt what he felt for these people with a deep passion. See, Paul had invested his own blood in getting the gospel to these people. And that gospel he brought them was being distorted and it was being corrupted. This was personal in ways to Paul that we can't overstate. This means the world to him. Paul isn't arguing because he just wants to be right. This is not a sport to him. Paul is arguing because he desperately wanted to guard and protect 
the gospel that had been given to these people at great personal cost to him. So the conclusion of Paul's letter brings us to this point of decision, a decision that I think will reverberate into potentially the next generation, uh, certainly into the next season of your life and into the next. Paul's forcing us to choose between two very distinct paths. And so we have to ask ourselves as we read this passage, which will we take? So what are those two decisions? Uh, I've tried to summarize these, but I think it's simple this way. Will you spend your life boasting in yourself and your credentials in an attempt to gain status in the world? Or will you boast only in the cross as you lay down your life, right? And your status in the eyes of the world that you might glorify God. These are the things. Will you boast in yourself to elevate your status in the world? Or will you choose to boast only in the cross to elevate the glory of God? You see, that's the choice that Paul made, this second one, to boast only in the cross and make much of God through this. So we have to ask ourselves, and I need to ask myself, will I choose to live for God's glory, boasting only in the cross as I lay down my life, my status, my comfort, that I might gain Christ. So let's, let's read this final portion of scripture. It begins in verse 11. Read it with me. It says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. This is when Paul takes over from the scribe. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers. Amen. What an incredible passage. I'm moved as I kind of feel his emotion at the end as he he begins to summarize the main point of his letter. I believe Paul in this section exposes the motivations of those who are seeking to corrupt the gospel of grace. And he compares his motivations with theirs. And in doing so, I think we're challenged to look at our own hearts to see if we're living to glorify ourselves in the eyes of man or if we truly believe the gospel of grace enough to simply glory in the cross. So let's look at the motivations of the Judaizers. And if I had to summarize that, I would say they were all about living for their own glory. And the reason why I think that is because Paul explains here, he says that they really wanted to boast that the people of Galatians, these Gentiles, had been circumcised, that they were keeping the Mosaic law. Somehow they wanted to boast about that with their peers. 
See, they were taking criticism from their Jewish friends, all right? They were getting blasted on Facebook and Twitter because they weren't pushing this issue that they keep the Mosaic law and that these people are circumcised. They were losing status quickly in the Jewish community, and some Jewish Messianic Christians were trying to mesh the gospel with the law so that the Jewish community would still respect him. It's like, I want Jesus, I want the gospel of grace, but also want to keep the law and, and keep all these other people happy around me. And see, there were those who wanted to brag that the Gentile believers were circumcised and that they had started keeping the law. Because if they did, these things, you know, they could continue to boast in their credentials as a Jew that they were circumcised and had been adhering to the Mosaic law. And see, if they didn't enforce these things, then they would have to admit that they were equal to the Gentiles before God. This would have been a massive shift in thinking for many Jews at that time who saw Gentiles as dogs. And so that was part of the challenge here. That the Judaizers knew that their peer groups and other Jews would approve if they could somehow keep their status, as emphasizing keeping the law and circumcision. But if they didn't enforce circumcision and the law and instead preached that salvation came only through the grace of God, through the cross of Jesus, they knew they would be rejected by the world around them and they would be subject to persecution. The only problem is that they were deceived. Their motivation for all this might seem okay, but man, they were deceived. They missed this. The Judaizers, see, they weren't even keeping the law themselves. Paul pulls that out. He's saying, man, these people that are putting this on you are not even keeping the law themselves. They're playing some game that wasn't even really about God. Instead, it was about gaining status through religion and protecting their reputations in the world. And Paul is having none of it. He's doing his work to expose that for what it is. Now, this brings up an interesting question. And we have to ask, you know, why were these people being in danger of being persecuted for the sake of the cross of Christ? And I, I want to talk about this for a second because I think this is important. The cross can be offensive, you know, and, and there are some reasons why. A real encounter with the cross and what Jesus did there is honestly jarring and a little bit humbling for us. It exposes and demands our humility. And so I'll give you a couple things. The first one is that the cross exposes our credentials, whether it's circumcision or religion or, or some sort of boundaries you've set up in your life. When we walk up to the cross, it exposes our attempts to deserve God's grace and mercy and favor in our own empty human efforts. And it exposes this. It goes beyond that. It exposes the true nature and horror of our sin and our sinful hearts, our rebellious nature towards God. You don't believe me? I mean, look at Isaiah. Isaiah has this incredible vision uh, as he, he writes, and he, he shares with us this vision, and he writes, when he sees God on his throne, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, from a people with unclean lips. He didn't say, Hey, God, aren't you impressed? Like, take a look at me now. Like, are you impressed with how great I am? Look how close I am to living out, 
your holiness. I'm holy, just like you're holy. I've got this all figured out. I'm pretty amazing, right? Like, that's not what Isaiah said. He says, woe is me. When he saw God and all of his glory, the condition of his heart was exposed and he recognized his desperate need for forgiveness. You know, when we see God, and I believe we see him extremely clearly on the cross, it exposes our credentials and we realize just how badly we need a savior. So the cross exposes our credentials. That's one of the reasons why it's offensive. If you take great pride in who you are and what you've accomplished and your credentials, the cross is going to mess with you just a little bit. In fact, it's going to mess with you a lot. It's going to potentially even offend you if your intention is to hang on to some of your pride. It just can't be done. Which brings us to the second thing is that the cross demands that we kneel in humility. You see, at the foot of the cross, no one can stand on their own merit. No one. None is righteous, not even one. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of this, every knee has to bend and every head has to bow at the foot of the cross in humility. You see, saving grace is only received by those who admit their need of it. It's those who don't think they need it that walk away from the cross angry. You see, if we preach the cross, then the world will feel exposed. Those who encounter the message of the cross will see the inadequacy of their credentials. They'll see the horror of their sin. This is traumatic. Some, however, though, will see their, the love of Jesus is demonstrated on the cross as he died for us while we were still sinners. And they'll see him and they will kneel at the cross, confessing their need for salvation and enter into the kingdom of God. But those others will go on the attack. They'll stiffen their necks and set out to prove God wrong. I'll show you that I deserve this. And they'll attack the cross and those who proclaim it or modify the gospel altogether in order to protect their pride, their status, and their credentials. See, the cross offends the proud, yet the cross is the salvation of the humble and those who know their need for mercy and grace. So that was the motivation of the Judaizers. And they were telling everyone that uh, you're saved by keeping the law, while they privately knew that they were breaking the law themselves. And so it was all about keeping up appearances and their eyes were on one another rather than God. Well, Paul compares his motivation with theirs. And if I had to summarize his, I would say his is living for the glory of the cross. Paul says some pretty beautiful things here. Uh, but before we get in that, I want to read something. What could be so glorious about this instrument of death? Well, Billy Graham wrote this. And I think it's worth sharing. He said, what glory is there in the cross? It was an instrument of torture and shame. Why did Paul glory in it? He gloried in it because the most selfless act ever performed by men or angels took place upon it. He saw emanating from that rough, unartistic beam upon which the Son of God had been crucified, the radiant hope of the world, the end of the believer's bondage to sin, and the love of God shed abroad in the hearts of men. A lone man dying on a cross did more to restore man's harmony with God, his fellow man and himself, 
than the combined genius and power of the earth's mighty. With, the, with my finite limitations, I cannot fully comprehend the mystery of Christ's atonement. I only know that all who come to the cross in simple, trusting faith lose all their guilty stains and find peace with God. I couldn't agree more with Billy Graham. You know, Paul, as he writes, says, I will boast in nothing but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all he's going to boast in. He says, by the world, by the the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does he mean by that? It's a bit of a complex statement. He's saying, my credentials, my circumcision, my uncircumcision, my status as a Jew, all these things, the, the fact that I've kept much of the law, and at least outwardly, he's, he's saying my credentials are worth nothing to me. All I care about is becoming a new creation. Not a new and improved me, but a whole new creation. A born again, new creation in Christ by grace through faith. And that faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he said, he says, I'm dead to trying to please the world. It's crucified to me and I to it. I'm not interested in trying to please people around me. I'm not going to modify the gospel. I'm not going to pander to anyone's understanding of it. I'm going to trust what God said. I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. I'm going to put all my weight on it, all of my hope on the cross and trust God. You know, I I think, you know, as he's writing, he's saying, you know, I'm not trying to please the people around me, the Jews. I'm not trying to please the Gentiles. I'm willing, if I need to be, to be an outcast, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be discredited or imprisoned. I'm willing to be stoned if it means I need to be stoned. As long as the message is proclaimed and the gospel is presented to the people he came to save. If the Jews want me dead, the Romans think I'm insane, but I'm not trying to rise in the ranks of the Jews. I'm not trying to rise in the ranks of the Romans. I'm trying to point to the cross. He says, I'm not trying to rise in my status in culture or in Israel. I'm literally dead to that motivation. I don't need that. After I encountered Jesus and saw the cross for what it is, you know, hey, I was ready to die to the world. The world just died to me and I to it. I'm not interested in that anymore. All I care about now is showing people the cross. That's that's what Paul is saying here. He's desiring to take the gospel to people. You know, and and this wasn't just Paul being dramatic. This is not him just trying to make a big deal out of a small thing. No, Paul is living this out. Paul's body later in life was beaten. He was whipped. He was bruised. He was broken. He endured shipwrecks and imprisonments and ridicule, constant danger. He constantly showed that he was willing to trade his comfort. He was willing to trade his safety and his status if it meant that he might gain an opportunity to make much of Jesus and share the gospel with the people around him. So we have to make this decision as put as simply as I can. Let me give you four things. The first thing we've got to do is to glory in the cross We are called to glory in the cross. In fact, only to glory in the cross. And this is a choice that we all have to make. Because let me make this really clear. This is a reality that some of us don't think about very much. But if you're young, hey, you're only going to be 17 one time. You're only going to live through your 30s one time. You're only going to be 63 one time. 
You know, some of us won't even live to be 30. And so with this life, what are we going to do with it? You know, one day we will face God. And on that day, I believe that we will wish that we poured out every drop, every ounce of our life to boast in and to glory in and to proclaim the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, when we see him, we will realize this, that Jesus' work on the cross has saved us. It really has. It has set us free and released us from the penalty of our sin. It's made us sons of God instead of slaves to sin. The cross has provided eternal life and joy in the presence of God for eternity upon eternity. It's our hope and it's the hope of all men. It's the door of salvation and the demonstration of God's sacrificial love for man. The cross was meant for delivering a brutal and terrifying, slow death to lawbreakers who were rebellious. But it's the very tool that God has used to pardon us from our death sentence. It's God's holy justice and his loving mercy on display for our salvation. And that's why we glory in the cross. It means everything to us. What Christ accomplished on the cross changed everything for us. So when you finally do face God, will you glory in your credentials? Will you glory in your good works or your achievements? Will you boast in those? Will you boast in your accomplishments or in your personal character? Will you make much of yourself in attempt to be acceptable to God? Or when you see God, will you glory in the cross? Will you glory in the credentials of Jesus? Will you boast in that? Boast in the finished work of the cross, His resurrection and His incredible grace and mercy. Will you boast in Jesus? What will you boast in that day? Your credentials or the credentials of Jesus Christ? What will we say? I mean, when we find ourselves before God, you say, look how religious I was. Look how great I pulled this off. I did so many great things. Look at my status in the community, God. Aren't you really impressed? You know, would we go so far as to say, look at, we glory in all kinds of things. Look at the Georgia Bulldogs. I just glory. How about them dogs, God? We pour our life into so many things. You know, are we, are we going to live for our own glory in this? Are we going to point to God and say, look at this job title that I got. I'm going to boast to that. I was a supervisor. I was on the rise. I was a state champion athlete. Oh, there's all kinds of things. Look out. I've got 4,000 followers on Instagram. I mean, if you see my last selfie, check it out, God. This is really amazing. Like, that's not the stuff we're going to boast in when we see him. And I'm not sure why we waste a ton of time boasting in them now. But we have been called to glory in the cross. And that is how we live our lives. So I'll ask you this. What do you glory in today? What do you boast in today? What gives you pride today? What is it that you want to share and celebrate and promote and share? You know, the world has offered us a lie. You know, and it's offered us some kind of uh, life and tells us to live lives that make much of ourselves. It's taught us to boast in ourselves, to glory in ourselves, and make much of this world, this life, the here and now. 
It makes promises that, honestly, you can't deliver. It's a lie, and it's completely a dead end. Living for your own glory, boasting in yourself, is, is like having a cistern that won't hold water. You know, we glory in our achievements, our status. We glory in our sports teams, our ambitions. We glory in our looks and our abilities. And, you know, we constantly are promoting something. I mean, think about what we do online and social media. And sometimes it's usually ourselves. We're promoting ourselves to the world, inviting it to glory in us. You know, it's a, it's a worldwide competition out on the web and social media for this. <laughs> Worship me, glory in me. It's just our sin nature and how we're wired, wanting to draw attention to ourselves. But, you know, what Paul is saying is, boast in the cross. Hey, keep sharing your pictures. Keep sharing your life. It's great communication. <laughs> we enjoy that. But don't get sucked into the lie there. You know, if we seek to amplify and glory in ourselves in this life, we're going to regret it when we see our risen Savior face to face. So instead, we glory in what Jesus did on the cross. When we stand before God, we will boast in the glory of the cross. Our forgiveness provided to us by grace. We'll boast in Christ's righteousness and not our own. We'll give him glory and no one else. He alone is worthy of that glory. So I tell you this, at the end of this book, as Paul is sharing this, we live to glory in the cross. The second thing he says, I believe this points to this, that Paul challenges us to, is to take up your cross. You know, Matthew uh, records, and we see the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 24. It said, Then Jesus told his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, Jesus invites us to take up an instrument of death and come follow him. You know, Paul is, is inviting us to die. He's saying, be crucified to the world and it to you. He said that's what was true of him. I'm crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. He's literally inviting us to die to trying to earn God's love and his favor through empty religious acts and external behavior modification. And he, instead, he invites us to glory in the cross and not ourselves, not our credentials, not our flesh, not our achievements. You see, this world is not our home. This is not where we belong. And I, I need to tell you this, and you are not your own savior. I know I'm not mine. That's crystal clear to me. There's only one savior. There's only one savior who took the nails. There's only one who went to the cross, only one who wore the crown of thorns, and only one who faced the judgment of God. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and he receives all the glory, all the worship. We don't glory in ourselves, we glory in him and him alone. We glory in the cross, and the cross bids us to come and die. And Jesus said, take up that cross and follow me. Paul explained this earlier in the book of Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20. He wrote this. this. is a verse that's changed my life. And I hope you memorize it. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
He said, I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He says more in Acts 20, 24, it says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish the course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace, of the grace of God. Jesus reminds us uh, one more time in Matthew 16, 26. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I believe Paul is bringing us to a point of decision where we have to choose to take up our cross, knowing that we need to be crucified to the world and it needs to be crucified to us, that Jesus says, Come and die, that you might truly live. Are we going to choose to live for our own glory and modify Christianity or whatever we need to, boasting in ourselves that we might gain status and more comfort? Or are we going to choose to live for God's glory, boasting in the cross alone as we lay down our lives, lay down our status, lay down our comfort, that we might gain Christ and He might be glorified? The third thing is this, that we need to live a life that boasts in the cross. This is what Paul is bringing about here. And in verse 16, he says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He's saying those who walk by this rule, he's saying who boast in the cross, he's saying those who glory in the cross, let your life and your words reveal your true passion, your, your, your desire to elevate the glory of God and to boast in the cross. Let the cross overshadow any other idols in your life that compete for God's glory. And let the truth of the gospel actually come out of your mouth. Live it out, but also speak it. we got to talk about it. We also need to live in view of it. When we begin to see that the cross is ultimately the what we glory in, the work of Christ, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, His death, His resurrection, this gospel, when we glory in that, it reorients the priorities of our lives so that we live our lives making decisions as we view our lives through the lens of the cross. And we begin living this way, our priorities shift and people begin to see us honestly living a little bit closer to what Paul was living out here. He invites us to get on mission. I think there's a call here to glory in the cross, to live a life that boasts in the cross, to testify to the gospel of grace even when it costs us. We get to see uh, Peter actually wrote in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2. He writes this. He said, when he suffered, he made no threats. This is Jesus. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, we can testify even when it costs us. We can testify to the gospel of grace even though it may cost us something because we know that we can trust, we can entrust ourselves to a God who judges justly. He's going to come through. You see, there's this beautiful story, I think, as we see the end of this. And I, and I want to bring your attention to this uh, sort of partner of Paul, this young man, Timothy. You see, Timothy was a native of Lystra which was one of the cities that, where this church was planted uh, on this missionary trip that we've been talking about that Paul went to. It's in the region of Galatia. When Paul and Barnabas first 
went to Lystra, visited there to share the gospel. Paul healed a crippled man uh, from birth, leading many uh, of the people there to accept this teaching of the gospel. And when he returned back a few years later with Silas, Timothy was already a respected member of the church there. And, you know, as were his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, who were both Jews. And we get to see in 2 Timothy 1.5, it's his mother and his grandmother are noted. And they invested heavily in his life since it's Mother's Day. I just want to say Timothy was a, an amazing harvest to the sowing of a grandmother and a mother who received the gospel and just poured it into this young man. Timothy, when he, when he heard the gospel, it took root in his life. And it says that he was acquainted with the scriptures since childhood. So God bless you moms for all your incredible hard work, how you invest in your children. We need to be equipping them with the gospel. It's not the heart of this whole sermon, but I hope you hear that message. Timothy had that kind of mom, that grandma in his life, who were investing the gospel in there. And I think that that was a beautiful picture here because Timothy eventually became Paul's disciple. And later, after he met him on this missionary journey, he was a constant companion and co-worker in preaching. And so uh, when Paul and Silas eventually took Timothy along with them on another missionary journey to Macedonia. And we get to see uh, Augustine sort of complimenting the zeal of, of, of Timothy here. It says that he, he admires his zeal and disinterestedness, disinterestedness and immediately forsaking his country, his house, his parents to follow the apostle and to share in his poverty and sufferings. Timothy was willing to enter into poverty and sufferings, not because he got hyped up in a service, but because he saw the gospel for what it really was. And he had an encounter with the cross and what Jesus accomplished on it. He began to see his life through the lens of the cross, and he chose to live a life that boasts in the cross, even when it cost him something. You know, Paul was able to leave a legacy in Timothy. And finally, we see in Paul's letter, 2 Timothy, one of the last things Paul ever writes. This is much later in his life than when he wrote the book of Galatians. But we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. It says, you, however, who have followed my teaching, speaking to Timothy, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. See, Paul was willing to suffer if he needed to. His whole life was about the cross, not comfort. His willingness to boast in the cross led to this conversion of Timothy. And Timothy grew into an incredible missionary who ended up being the bishop of Ephesus as Paul was investing his life and the work of the Holy Spirit that he accomplished in both mother, grandmother, and Paul. It's this beautiful picture. And so I want to ask you, what will you do with the time you have left? We all have a finite life, and God has called us not only to boast in the cross for eternity, 
but to make our lives about that now. And we are to live lives of boasting in the cross. And so I encourage that we need to, to make sure that we embrace the true gospel, that we don't fall into just chasing some external righteousness through our own efforts, trying to prove that we don't actually need a Savior, living to amplify our own glory. But we could come to the cross and just simply see it for what it is. We come and die, boasting only in the cross that we might truly live. And you have one life, and I challenge you to glory in the cross, glory in God's grace, glory in God's mercy, the finished work of Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I believe that if we do that, God will use you, just like Paul was writing to Timothy, to testify to this incredible gospel of grace. The final thing I want to share with you is this, that, that we are called to share in Christ's sufferings. Now, Paul says this in verse 17. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul reminds them what it cost him personally to bring to them the gospel. And we're reminded as well of Jesus who paid the ultimate price for us and for these people Paul is writing to. And I think we need to hear, if we choose the path of the cross, if we choose to take up our cross and follow Jesus, we will likely suffer for it. Paul saw it as we should. We knew that he was, or he knew that he was suffering for the sake of the gospel, and he was proud of his scars. They were, they were the marks of Jesus to him. They were like a brand mark. You know, you may gain some scars as you boast in Jesus. Some may be physical, others may be emotional, but when you get marked for the cause of Christ, when you suffer for the sake of the cross, of Christ, your scars are the marks of Jesus. Those scars are like the brand on a horse that identify who the real master is. Listen, we can take even joy. It doesn't mean we enjoy suffering, but we can find joy in them because we know that we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. You see, the gospel of grace has come to each of us. It's come to you. It's come to me at great cost. So don't distort it. Don't settle for a hybrid version of the gospel. Instead, glory in it. Glory in the cross. Testify to it. Share it, even when it costs you greatly. It will be worth it. What else should we be living for, to be honest? What else is worthy of that kind of glory? Nothing. Another boat? Another round of golf? I mean, we all know it's got to be about more than that, right? So let's glory in the, in the cross. As we close here, I think Paul leaves us with this blessing. He says, and I love this, this message, this letter that's been all about the grace of God. He says this, I think it has particular weight. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This grace, this unbelievable, this matchless, amazing grace be with you in your spirits, brothers. That's what he was saying. He said, amen, to underscore it. Let it be so. May this grace be with you. And I, I feel like it's appropriate right now just to say, if you don't know the grace of Jesus, come to Jesus. Kneel at the cross in humility. Give him your life. Repent of your sin. 
It's not comfortable. It exposes our need for a Savior and our sinfulness in ways that make us cringe. But if you're willing to look, you're going to see Christ. You're going to see the love of Christ on dim, just demonstrate for you. Before you changed, before you fixed yourself, before you cleansed yourself up, while you were still a sinner, Christ did that for you. Knowing where you would be today, He died for you so that you could have this grace, this unearned grace that you simply need to look at the cross and put your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sin and yield to Him. Let Him be Lord of your life. Glory in Him. Instead of trying to figure it out all on your own, just glory that Christ has already figured it out. So I'll leave you with this statement. If you want to truly live, come and die to yourself in the world. Embrace the cross. Glory in it and you will find joy in Christ like you've never known, and impact the world in ways you could never imagine. Today I pray we all can say with Paul, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me now and we'll leave you with a song that I think will help us adapt, to help us adjust to this way of thinking. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the work you've done on our behalf. I pray for any who don't know you, that they would come to saving faith in you, that they would reach out to us and give us the opportunity to share with them this incredible gospel in, in, in greater detail than we've even been able to today. God, I pray for those of us who want our lives to count, that you would give us wisdom, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. This book has reminded us that real transformation, real power, any hope to impact eternity can only come from you. It can only come from Christ in us. It's only from the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so we yield to that, God, and we say, make yourself known through our lives. We want to come and die. We want to be crucified with you so that we no longer live, but instead you live through us. And we want our lives to be for the glory of you and not for us, that others might share in this joy that we have and enjoying you for eternity. God, we will see you. We will eventually be in heaven and we will see you face to face and we want others to see that. And so in the meantime, we will not glory in ourselves because there is only one that is worthy of that praise and it is you, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us. We want to glorify you with our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.